Welcome back to the Renaissance! Episode 52. Uh, Ray, uh, in our last episode, the uh, Signoria uh, promised, Pinky promised, that they wouldn't bring back the Medici. Um, first thing they did when Ronaldo del Albici turned his back was they brought back the Medici. So they formed a balia and they overturned the banishment of the Medici. Well, they all were um, Medici supporters and they probably felt he had been done wrong and they had the backing or the cover of the Pope. So it all worked out well. Now we just got to shake the dust and see how things settle down in this new uncertain Florence. Mm. So as soon as Cosimo gets word from the Signoria that the banishment has been lifted, Mm -hmm. he takes a Learjet back from Venice (laughs) and parachuted in. (laughs) With smoke coming out of his pack. Badass. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, it was a jet pack. (laughs) Like a 70s James Bond jet pack he flew in on. He was accompanied to the border of Venice by 300 Venetian soldiers to make sure that uh, he didn't get assassinated, I assume, on the way back. Right. And when he crossed over into Florentine territory, there was apparently national rejoicing. People came out like he was the second coming of the Messiah. (laughs) Now, why do you think... Why do you think that would be? Why were people rejoicing? Um, Even though they probably didn't understand the um, details of the machinations of what's been going on since he's been um, banished, I imagine that maybe they think that this is over, that there's going to be closure, they're going to get back to normal, and if the reputation of the Medici can be trusted, that you know they actually look out for the popolo minuto, I, I don't know, but this reminded me of when his father's coffin was carried out of his house. From what I could tell, uh, it, there did seem to be a certain amount of spontaneous reaction to this guy coming back. I think generally people were thinking that stability and maybe perhaps economic good times would be returning with him because it's been kind of tough for the last couple of months with him out of town. Hmm. Well, yeah, look, I really don't know. And apparently Cosimo, in his own account, says he didn't really know why he was so popular either. Um, but it seems to have just been this um, yeah, popular movement that took on a life of its own. Machiavelli yeah. wrote, Seldom has a citizen returning from a great victory been greeted by such a concourse of people and with such demonstrations of affection as was Cosimo on his return from exile. Hmm. So, for whatever reason, the people are excited. Pumped up. Excited that he's back. Yeah. Yeah. Now, maybe it's not so much pro-Medici as opposed to anti-Albizzi, but, or probably a little bit of both. So, on the 5th of October, 1434, Cosimo arrived at his villa outside Florence and stopped for some food. (laughs) Right. The people... And Florence apparently was so excited about his return, they were jamming the streets. Not jamming in the streets, although Pope Gene Simmons did get a little bit of that going on. Right. Mm. Blowing fire. Um, it was a little bit of, little bit of cold gin. 
Doctor Love. Uh, there was, there was, there was they call me yeah. Doctor Love. <laughs> oh yeah, that too. Yeah. Call it Doctor Love. They call me Doctor Love. He had the uh, the senioria doing yeah. that. Yeah, good stuff. Call it Doctor Love. <laughs> doing the high Paul Stanley. No, I appreciate vocals it. Vocals in the background. I appreciate it. Um, yeah. Well, that was the there was a senioria that were doing that. Um, right. Right. Now, uh, the people, uh, the senioria were worried that there could be riots uh, if he, if, if Coco Ma came to town uh, in the middle of the day. So they sent him a message at his villa begging him not to arrive during the daylight hours. Yeah. Now, maybe uh, they thought it would just be like chaos and people would get trampled. Maybe they thought some of the Medici supporters would have used it as uh, an opportunity to just run right and get revenge. Maybe they thought Cosimo was still in danger of assassination, which would be hard to protect him from in crowded streets. Right. Why do you think they were concerned? Yeah, I, th- I think it was just for whatever reason, even though we and even Cosimo himself doesn't know about this um, this uh, intense atmosphere that's going around in Florence. I think just the fact that, that it was a lot of demonstrations, emotions are up, you never know what people are going to do, and things are just not really in control right now, and people aren't in control of their own emotions. Something good or bad could happen, and why take that risk? Because it's a big enough deal bringing him back. I, I just think it was, they were erring on the side of caution. I did want to ask you, in your detailed research, when he stopped at his place just outside of Florence and had me uh, had a meal. Hopefully he had the common sense not to put his feet up on the back of a peasant. Hopefully he's still playing his part as a good Medici. But yeah, I think he was just uh, sitting there relaxing, gets this message and probably understands that things are just out of control, He, even though he doesn't know why. And I think he, he it's smart of him to obey the request of the Signoria. I just hope that when he stopped for food, he didn't have uh, bistecca alla Florentina. <laughs> Do you remember the uh, oh, yeah. that fucking steak that we <laughs> had dinosaur, in Florence? The dinosaur Holy meal? Holy yeah. shit. Yeah. Oh, my God. The yeah. dinosaur yeah, steak. William and I, <laughs> like Fred Flintstone would eat. Yeah. yeah. At least you... At least you shared one. I tried to eat one by myself, no. and it nearly fucking <laughs> killed me, man. No, I had William helping me. Thank yeah. you, William, because it was delicious but massive. Yeah, massive. good stuff, though. That's not. It's not all William helped you with. I don't think <laughs> on his balcony. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, beef steak, bistecca, beef steak, beef steak. <laughs> Um, yeah, if you go to Florence, uh, make sure you go to the Uffizi, make sure that you right. go to the Galleria, and make sure you have right. beefsteak. But With share it. Don't. Yeah. Try that. And, and be prepared to spend $200 <laughs> for one, too. It's crazy expensive. <laughs> <clears throat> Don't do what I no. did and forget to uh, convert the, uh, like, 70 euro into uh, real money. Um Yes, so he goes in, Coco Ma, goes into the city after dark, accompanied just by his brother Larry and a high-ranking official right. from the city. Unlike Ronaldo, he doesn't have 500 bodyguard because yeah. he's pretty sure he's going to be safe at he this juncture. He's let in quietly through a side gate in the city walls, just like Heather lets uh, D'Angelo in quietly yeah. through the back door when you've passed out drunk from <laughs> Limoncello. Oh. 
and they they put him straight back into a jail cell. <laughs> no, only kidding. Uh, it's a nice or combination. He actually this time. spent the night. Yeah. yeah, spent the night in one of the rooms, usually occupied by a member of the seigneurie, and I do believe they did it up for him special. Nice little. Nice little soap, little bit of uh, little, little toiletries pack, some fresh shampoos, clean sheets, conditioner, um, yeah. All, yeah, all that kind of stuff. Turned yeah. on the AC, yeah. Little 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 sample bottle of little bottle of port, <laughs> some nice uh, chocolates from Perugia on the pillow, lint balls, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Slip slippers, <laughs> uh, nice uh, nice nice soft fluffy terry telling robe. Right. Um, couple of Playboys in case he got lonely. Um, Box of Kleenex, you know, a little bit of a little bit of lube. Right, yeah. <laughs> and some couple of pictures of angels in case he needed to with their mouths get some open. Inspiration. I can't believe I said that. Sorry, <laughs> sorry, sorry. But yeah, so he has a, he has a nice a nice night's sleep. Certainly better than the cell that he was in the last time he was there. And the next morning, you have to. You know, you, you have to do the needful. So when he gets up the next morning, he goes sees uh, Pope Eugene to thank him for his support, to reaffirm their friendship. Because as we said, the Pope is also friends with uh, Albizzi and other oligarchs who are against him. But at the same time, he does a quick selfie with the Pope so that he can send around to everybody on his Instagram to say, Hey, just remember, I, besides being rich, I do have friends in high places. So don't fuck with me. And they... And they, and they jammed a little bit as well. <laughs> a little bit of cold yeah. gin this time. Love that. And I, so he thanked him for his support, both in trying to rescue him when he was in yeah. prison for, you know, doing the deal with uh, Ronaldo. Mm-hmm. No doubt cut him a line of free credit as well. Ooh. Listen, go crazy. Yeah. Here's my black platinum <laughs> card. Just go... Go spend knock it yourself out as much yeah. as you just yeah. hire an army. Go knock yourself out. Go to Vegas. Fuck. Yeah, whatever. Yeah, this this card cannot be traced. You can you, hookers doesn't matter. Coke, no one can tell what's going on. <laughs> now, so by the time Coco Mar got back to his palazzo, which is still the Palazzo Bardi, I guess, because the Palazzo Medici hasn't been finished. Right. People were lining the streets and cheering him in such a manner that one would imagine him to be their prince, says Machiavelli, which Woo. is what happens to me whenever I go back to Bundaberg sure. to visit Jan. Sure. No, you know, it's, it's How in many my people? case, it's people lining up throwing <laughs> five and they're throwing <laughs> rotten fruit. But I think I think it's a sign that they love me. Uh, they're willing to give up their their special right. fruit, and most of the people in Bundaberg have got scurvy um, and they're meth heads. So you know, to give up fruit, it's a big. That they deal. could have solved for some meth. That's a big deal. Yeah. I think it's a big. I think it's yeah. a sign. It's a sign that they love me. Yeah, I can't think of any other interpretation. Absolutely. Now, there are varying reports on his return to the city, actually. Machiavelli, who I've said before, very pro-Medici right. because he's trying to get back into their good books when he's writing 100 years later. Um, he says it's a great public celebration. Other sources, not so favourable. They say he crept back to the city very quietly, which, I mean, if you if, if you want to... That's how you could uh, uh, paint him sneaking in at night time, I guess, Right, uh, but you know, according to Machiavelli's account, that's because the Signoria asked him to do that so there wouldn't be a riot in the streets. 
Anyway, we point is he's back. It's been less than a year yeah. since he was in jail, yeah. preparing to be thrown out of a window. <laughs> now he is well and truly back. But here's here's two dominating questions. Exactly what is his status in the city now? And who really is in charge of the city? Because we know it's not the Senoria. They're used to take. They have been taking their orders for decades from someone who's ever the other. You know, the the overall person in charge behind the scenes. So, what's his status? Who's really in charge of the city? What is going to happen now? Yeah, good questions. Um, I was going to say that in terms of him being in jail, the thing to think about here is if he hadn't been thrown in jail, right. and if he hadn't been sent into exile, it's highly unlikely that he would be this popular in the city at this juncture and have the, the, the popular support to do what he's about to do. I so totally agree. I think there's a lesson yeah. in there for the kids. Yeah. For the kids listening out there, bad things sometimes lead to good things. Mm-hmm. Mostly, usually bad things lead to good things. And mm. in, in I don't know if you know I've probably talked to you about this before, but one of the exercises I did many years ago, um, and I recommend this for people, is to get a pen and a piece of paper, do a timeline back through your life, and look at all of the good things that have happened to you, people you've met, jobs you've landed good fortune that has happened to you. And then trace back all of the decisions and all of the actions by others that directly led to that good thing happening. And I guarantee you, you will find bad things that led to the good things happening. And so the lesson from that, when you put that down on paper, is that bad things lead to good things. Now, that's important. So the next time bad thing happens to you, you can say to yourself, well, listen, you can put it in perspective. In the past, when terrible things have happened, mm-hmm. it's led to good things. So this will probably lead to a good thing as well. I just need to be patient and navigate the path the best I can, step by step, follow it through, and see where it leads. Yeah. So this is what Cosmo, yeah. this is like Poggio Bracciolini saying to Cosmo, you know, take, take advantage of philosophy in your exile. Realize that... Uh, Things go in cycles. Bad things lead to good things, lead to bad things, lead to good things. So just be patient and the cycle will come back around again. And, and I want to add on to what you said earlier. Yeah, because if, if um, Cosmo had not been banished, that would have not, you know, he obviously he wouldn't have been removed from the situation when Ronaldo screwed everything up and got the people mad at him. There was there's this one um, another example in history. The man who was in charge of the Krupp um, German armaments family in Essen in Western Germany after World War One he gets put in jail and the French come into Essen rule over with an iron fist there's deaths there's there's destruction uh, the the people get pissed off and rise up they push the French out there's a lot of bloodshed and so this guy's let out of jail but the point is during all of that he cannot be blamed for it because he was in jail so he literally comes out and he's a hero to the people although he did absolutely nothing he was just removed during the situation that's the same thing for Cosmo Cosmo has done nothing but listen to the signoria he was banished now he's back and all that shit that happened cannot be put on him because he was physically and not only was he not physically there but he was not allowed to return so again like you said this works out 
perfect for him. He's taken advantage of the shitstorm that Ronaldo created in his absence. Yeah, now he's back. He is truly seen as the Prince of Florence. He is the ruler of Florence. Not only seen that way by the people of the city, Mm -hmm. but also by foreign rulers like the Pope. The city is pretty much his for the taking. But he could have installed himself as a tyrant, as a dictator, yeah, like Visconti in Milan. But he doesn't do that. Yeah, He plays it safe like Papa Joe would have wanted. Avoid being conspicuous was one of Papa Joe's deathbed uh, wishes for his sons. And that's exactly what... Coco Ma does. And I think the other part of it is, I think Cosimo's um, smart enough to know that these people are cheering in the streets for me as I walk in, but there's no way that this intensity can be maintained. Eventually, they're going to go back to their daily lives. They're going to want to be able to find work and take care of their families and have fun occasionally. They're not going to be able to line up on the streets every time I walk by and cheer themselves hoarse. This is an emotional response to his return. It can't last. And so between that and his father's advice, I think he was very wise to do whatever he's going to do, but do it behind the scenes. Because again, the people are proud of their republic. Yes, it's a sham, but it doesn't matter. They are proud of their supposed republic. And if he touches that, it's going to it's not going to go well for him. Yeah, again, it's a bit like Americans. I mean, they know, I think most Americans, that the system is corrupt, but they still go along with it. The politicians still pretend to have elections every couple of years. I mean, everyone knows that it's really big money, corporate money that's deciding who gets elected. It's got nothing to do with the people, but the people go along with it anyway. They go along with the sham because they're proud of it. It's part of their identity. Yeah, man. America. Democracy. Even though they know it's mostly corrupt. Yeah, democracy. Democracy, baby. We have the the best democracy. (laughs) Now... He is going to model, in many ways, I think, here, our our mate Augustus. He's going to make sure that the optics are that the traditional political machinery is still in place. Mm -hmm. He's going to maintain the outward appearance of all of that. But really, behind the scenes, he is running everything with an iron fist. So you're absolutely right. The Signoria is not going anywhere. The Gonfaloniere is not going anywhere. The people are still going to be allowed to vote. I did want to say this real quick. You mentioned Augustus, and I think that's the perfect example for this. But you're right. When some of the foreign delegations come, they don't go to the Signoria. They go to, the, to, they go to his palazzo. And even some of the citizens of Florence start showing up at his home asking for favors or whatever. And he does see them. In fact, he sets aside a specific hour of the day to visit these people and that just visit with these people. And that reminded me of when foreign dignitaries would come to Thibault's house early in his reign. He's like, what the fuck are you doing here? If you have a request, go to the Senate. That's what the Senate's for. Now, yes, they're going to come and ask me what to do after you ask them a question, but you start, you you know, you could do things through the proper channels, go to the Senate, at least hear Cosimo to some degree 
is acknowledging what everybody knows, but is probably not saying out loud. He's seen foreign delegations. He's seen some of the people in his own town. But again, the the structure of the government is still there. The people still have their government. They're still proud of it. And we can get on with our lives. But like you said a second ago, he is in control of everything behind the scenes. You know, I think he he sent them to the Signoria as well uh, mm. after they visited, but they came to pay their respects. Absolutely. Like they, when when you go when you go to a foreign city state in this case, uh, you, you pop in and pay your respects to the <laughs> richest, most powerful man in the land. Yes, you also know that he's really the decision maker, and you want to make sure that you do pay your respects, get in the get on the good side of him when you get in there. Yeah. Um, uh, but but I'm sure he sent them to the Signoria as well to maintain appearances. Um, Now, the Signoria, uh, under orders from Coco Ma, started banishing the oligarchy families Mm. from uh, across Florence. Right. Uh, including Ronaldo and the Albici, starting with them, I guess, despite the Pope's pinky promise. (laughs) Um, Ronaldo, his sons, and all of his descendants were banished from Florence. Damn. In perpetuity, I think, for what he'd done. Now, the whole sons and descendants thing is interesting. In Florence, and I think this was common thing in the Middle Ages, and particularly in Italy. Um, this is why uh, Don uh, Vittorio, no, Don Vittorio, uh, whoever it was in Godfather Part mm-hmm. Two, had to kill uh, Vito Corleone's brother and because he killed his father, he had to kill them all because he says, you know, That's they will right. come back. They will come back for kill vengeance when he grows up. You have to kill right. them all. Kill them all. Yeah. And also, they I think they considered a crime as a as a collective responsibility of the family. It was a stain upon the family. We, yes. We've talked many times before about how protecting the family and the family name was important, not just because of your reputation, but because crimes were considered uh, collective crimes. A bit like the Christians blamed all of the Jews for the crucifixion of Jesus forever. Right, uh, his blood be on us and our sons, as it says in uh, Matthew, Jeez. I think. So, uh, yeah, they believed in well, and, and this is a Christian thing, right? Christians generally believed and continue to believe that all humans, the entire human race, have uh, original sin. I mean, Catholics in particular believe this have original sin because Adam ate an apple. Uh, his his act of grand theft fruto, he ate an apple, and because of that, uh, millions of generations later, everyone still carries that guilt. Right? This is this is very much a a Catholic thing, uh, a guilt being passed on in the bloodline. Jeez. So uh, yeah, he gets he gets banished, um, as do a lot of the other families. Apparently, Ronaldo's parting words to the Pope were, "I blame myself for having thought that you, who were expelled from your own city, could preserve me in mine." Oh snap! Oh, but again, yeah. it, 
It could have been a lot worse. I mean, yeah. as I said in an earlier episode, in most Italian cities at the time, you didn't get exiles. You got bumped <laughs> off. Uh, but that yeah. that wasn't the Florentine tradition. Coco didn't want to be seen as a tyrant. He wanted to be seen as uh, more moderate than that. Right. So he's getting off lucky. I, I wanted to ask you before we go on with um, Coco breaking the power of the oligarch families, and let's be honest, he's got to because these guys lined up against him. I was hoping that you had done some more search or maybe a research of this will come later about it. It's, it's roughly at this time that he begins to accept offers of being godfather to the firstborn of Florence's leading citizens. I just knew you were going to pull out a godfather, godfather reference, maybe play some music, do a, do an impersonation or whatever. But, but I just found that part of it really, that's so typical Co- Cosimo. If he becomes someone's godfather, that's, that's, unostentatious, that's unassuming, but it's binding because you have tied your child to this man. So again, it's just another quiet, subtle, yet powerful bond where this guy is now your leader. And I I just think, I don't know if he was the first one to come up with this or if this had happened before, but again, it's just another brilliant example of quiet, but but very strong power or grab on the people of the city. Someday... And this day might never come. I will call upon you to do a favor for my family. But until such time, accept this as a gift on the day of my daughter's wedding. Thank you. He's pretty sure that's what he was saying to people. Thank you. Yeah. I appreciate it. Yeah, he's godfather. He starts becoming godfather. Now, even Paolo Strozzi, Aww. who had helped... <laughs> make the Medici return possible was a humanist friend of Cosimo's. Yeah. Was exiled for 10 years. And as you said earlier, I think he's he's in his 60s. He might even be 70. Yeah. So that's effectively banishment for life. Right. And and he and Kokomo were on friendly terms. The Signoria sort of asked Coco to (laughs) intervene on on behalf of Strozzi. Gave him, gave him an opportunity to make an exception. And he was like, nah, nah, um, nah, don't think so. Yeah. Nah, who? What? <laughs> Never heard of him. No. He's, he's got to. This guy is still at this point richer than Coco. He's got influence. He's got power. He knows a lot of people. He's, he's got to go. If you really, 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 really want to be safe, all these people that can hurt you, even if they haven't thus far, they have to go. That's how the game is played, baby. And apparently Cosimo thought that uh, Strozzi would actually be happier in exile. He was doing him a favour. He's like, listen, go to Padua. It's a great place. I was there. Yeah, I I left. But, you know, for you, it's great. You're going to love it. You won't have the temptation to meddle in Florentine politics, which, quite frankly, you're not very good at. Just (laughs) uh, chill out. Go there. Spend your last year's... Uh, you know, doing your book collection. You're very good at that. Just do right. that. Study keep, your Greek, your Latin, stay your out of politics. Up. Yeah. Um, which apparently is exactly what Strozzi did. He expanded his collection of ancient manuscripts, studied Greek and Latin, and just peacefully retired. Now, 70 families of the oligarchy were exiled. Damn. In rapid succession. Damn. Mm. 
Did you, did you did you hear what Cosimo said when someone complained that he was emptying Florence of its leading citizens? No, tell me. He said seven or eight yards of scarlet will make a new citizen. <laughs> Referring to the costumes that they wore that you can see in the paintings of the day. Right. So, yeah, he he was he was you know, getting rid of the heads of the five families, yeah. uh, as Michael Corleone did. Got to. Uh, he he realised, I think, and again, reminds me very much of Augustus here. He knows that this isn't good for Florence. It's not good for business. All of these factional wars, these right. basic civil civil wars that are going on, um, they need stability. Business, and uh, uh, after all, at the core of him... He was a businessman. He's a banker. Mm-hmm. You can't be making money, focusing on making money if you're fighting all of these political battles. It's not good for trade. It's not good for anyone else in the city, manufacturers or traders or bankers. So it needs a firm hand. It needs his firm hand. That's what's going to be best for everyone. The old guard, the republic, like in the days of the Roman Republic, is broken. It needs... Florence needs peace and prosperity. It needs the Pax Medici. (laughs) And that's what he introduces, the Pax Medici. Yeah, I mean, mean, you're absolutely right. Besides his personal safety, it's going to bring stability to the town, which, as you just said, is great for business. And that's all the people fucking care about. But again, just like Augustus, Cosimo is going to work really hard to appear as just another citizen of the Republic. Yes, I'm powerful, and yes, I'm rich, but to be sure, I am bound by the same laws as all of you, just like everyone else. I am just the first among equals. Bullshit, but he's going to work super hard to make sure that that's... Just like a princess. He's going to make sure that that's what everybody sees and believes. Yeah, uh, and, you know, I suspect he didn't even really want power. Mm. I mean, uh, you know, I, I think he just wants to get about, he go on, get on with his business. He wants to be a banker. He's good at banking. Uh, yeah. It makes him rich. He just wants to be able to do that without having He's to worry humanist. about getting exiled or thrown from a fucking window of a 300-foot right. tower right. every five minutes. Yeah. yeah. He, wants to st- he wants to study the classics, study philosophy run his banking business, bang his uh, hot mistress, slave mistress, um, and be left alone. And if in order to do that, he needs to also rule the city from behind the scenes, then that's what he's going to do. But he doesn't want to, I don't think he wants to be seen. He doesn't want the glory. He doesn't want to be a tyrant. You know, he wants to just be quietly get on with, get on with his knitting, get on with shit. Yeah. Well, um, if he could do that without mm-hmm. having to take power, I think he probably would have done that. But obviously, he couldn't. The oligarchy were determined to get rid of him, so he needed to get rid of them. If he had been able to, uh, he apparently he once said, if he'd been able to procure money and possessions with a magic wand, he would still continue to work as a banker because he loved it that much. Which is wow. What I always say about podcasting. Even if I was rich, I would still do podcasting because I love it so much. 
I want to believe you so bad. No, but you're right. I think I think Florence has got to the point where he either rules or he's going or his life is in danger. And so, you know, you, he picks it. But I think we're going to see that he's going to treat Florence, not that he doesn't love it, but I think he's going to treat it like a business. He's going to run it. He's a great executive. He's going to delegate. He's going to make good decisions. He's going to look down the road and, you know, make five-year plans, 10-year plans. But I think I think he is a worker. I think he's just someone who likes to show up at the office every day and get shit done. And Florence is going to benefit from that. Indeed. Now, he maintains this appearance of just being a normal citizen, as you said. Uh, look, look, he was extremely wealthy yeah. citizen, but uh, he couldn't hide that. But he, he, he stayed generous. He was approachable. He would accept any political duties or, or diplomatic missions that they wanted to send him on. He helped direct some of the policies of the state. One of his humanist friends said, whenever he wished to achieve something, he saw to it in order to escape envy as much as possible that the initiative appeared to come from others and not from him. Now, oh. I found some, some interesting things here. Florentine documents. He, he then is, you know, he, he rules Florence for the next 30 years until he dies mm-hmm. from, 30, from 1434 to 1464. But Florentine documents from the time barely mention him. <laughs> Political documents. Nice. Documents of state barely mention him. He it manages to keep his name out of the papers basically. Yeah. Because it's not about him. He doesn't want it to be seen about him. He's just a guy, just a guy like any other guy <laughs> playing his bit, doing his bit for Florence. Right. Yeah. Now, there are some contemporary documents that mention him, and we actually have a collection of those in the Biblioteca Lorenziana in Florence. The collection is called the Collectionis Cosmiane. Collectionis Cosmiane. Mm. It's basically a collection of uh, prefaces to translations of ancient manuscripts that were dedicated to Cosimo. Right. Letters of consolation written to him when members of his family died. Mm. Orations written by other people, delivered in public that mention him, and poetic elegies or epigrams that would mention him. And there's a, there's a collection of those where people were talking about him. They're hagiographic, most of them, obviously. Right. But um, that's it. Outside of that, barely any mention of Cosimo in the public records, apart from the fact that he paid more tax than any other citizen in Florence. <laughs> right. But but again, I thought that was, you know, just that's him being successful at hiding his power. But at the same time, there's no point in having power if you're not going to use it. So even though he was the highest taxpayer, you know, when he when he comes up with this balance sheet, it is it does claim that he um the amount that he pays taxes on is always lower than what the truth really was. And so, you know, you use power to to get out of some of your debt. And he is and his um his balance sheets always had debts that were on there to make him look like he's doing more than what he was doing. So again, he's using power, he's building up his wealth, because as we've seen so far, his wealth is one of the things that got him through these dark times that got him out of the trouble. And so yeah, if you have options 
excuse me, if you have money, you have options. And he wants to make sure that he's that he's going to always be wealthy. But here, here's my favorite part. Not only is he controlling the senioria and the leader, he also has control over the city's tax assessing and tax gathering system. Now, this is the real power of Florence, because we said in other episodes, this system can be used to destroy somebody. In Rome, you have to have the Praetorian Guard. In Florence, you have to have control of everyone's taxes. And the Medici party machinery keeps it that way. If anybody causes him any trouble, he can overtax, he can, he can overestimate the tax that they owe, and just like that, they are wiped out. It's subtle, it's quiet, but it's powerful, and that's exactly how Cosimo likes to do things. Yeah, and you say, well, you, it's not me, right. it's the tax department. Why, why are you coming that, to me? Uh, just yeah. sent you, sent, sent you bankrupt. <laughs> What's it got to do with me? Um, so a lot of people went into, vol- a lot of the rich families ended up going into voluntary exile, either because they were being ruined mm-hmm. By the tax department, or to avoid that happening, oh. they went into voluntary exile. If they could right. see the writing on the wall, they would Ooh. leave Florence and maintain their wealth. It's like, listen, you don't. You know, I'm not saying, <laughs> I'm not saying you need to leave Florence, but, but if you did, you are scheduled for an audit next week. Yeah, and it doesn't look yeah. good. You know, but hey, up to you. You do you. Totally, you do you. Totally your choice. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. it's totally up to you. I'm not saying anything. Now, in, in his entire lifetime, he was gonfalonieri no more than three times. Wow. So he didn't make himself cons- consul for life. Um, he was he was uh, just a guy, yeah. just a guy uh, helping out, helping yeah. out where he could. Citizen. Now, there was another guy. Who he they he tried to make look like was the real power, Luca Pitti. Mm-hmm. Uh, now another another very very rich banker, a little bit more flamboyant mm. than Cosmo. He liked to talk. He liked to act in public, like he was the most powerful guy in Florence. <laughs> and Cosmo was happy to let him do that. Right, actor. Now, Pit Pitti built the Palazzo Pitti, where the Boboli Gardens are and the um, statue of you on a turtle that we went to see when we were there. <laughs> now, um, which I will dig up and post to Facebook Thank again. You. Um, you're welcome. Now, uh, I think I said a few episodes ago that Cosimo built the Palazzo Pitti. That was mm. wrong. Wrong, wrong. I'm surprised no one picked me up on that. So um, Luca Pitti started building it in 1458. He died before it was finished. It did eventually fall into Medici hands, but it wasn't until 1549 Mm. when when Cosimo's great, 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 great grandson... (laughs) Cosimo the first de Medici, the Grand Duke of Tuscany, mm. bought it. He it was already huge because uh, Luca Pitti uh, wanted something ostentatious. Right. It was already huge, but uh, Cosimo then hired Giorgio Vasari, the great uh, artist and and biographer of other artists. 
He got him to double the size of Damn. it. And but then mostly only used it for special events. Right. Uh, didn't live there, just used it for parties, basically. Now, how do you think when he was throwing a party? Now, as you may recall, mm-hmm. the uh, Palazzo Pitti is on the other side of the Arno River to the Palazzo Vecchio, right. which which is the old Palazzo Palazzo della Signoria. So that's at this stage. That's where Cosimo the First Grand Duke is living with his family. They live in the Palazzo mm-hmm. della Signoria. That's their part. That's right. their house. <clears throat> how do you get if you've got a, if you're throwing a party on the other side of the town? How do you get from your residence to your party palace? Well, me personally, and I don't think anybody else does this, but I take off my shirt and I ride on the back of a turtle across the river. Um, everyone else probably do you build your own bridge or do you have boats waiting? How else do you cross water? <laughs> uh, yeah, well, uh, yeah, Cosimo's idea was he hired Giorgio Vasari to build what is known as the Vasari Corridor. It's an above-ground walkway, fully enclosed, that goes from the Palazzo Vecchio, which, uh, as a reminder, means the old palace Mm -hmm. now, um, all the way through the Uffizi Gallery, over the uh, Ponte Vecchio, the old bridge, All the way over houses, around churches, all the way to the party Damn. palace, the Palazzo Pitti. So you can just, they could, the family, the Medici family, when they were throwing a party, could just walk from Palace One to Palace <laughs> Two above ground, away from the masses, yeah. uh, in this fully enclosed walkway. Now, we didn't have a look at that when we were there last year because it was closed for safety reasons uh, in Mm. 2016 but is due to reopen for tourists in 2021 just in time for our next trip to Florence. Damn right. Can can I just say real quick after listening to that, I don't think Tony's spending his money the right way. I really think he's cocking it up. (laughs) I really think he's making a lot of bad decisions. (laughs) Just, you should have just private walkways from his uh, Sky Palace in Sydney to everything else in exactly, Sydney. Exactly. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. Where mm. were we? Uh, yeah. Now, apparently the Vasari Corridor is lined with artwork, too, from the Medici collection. Of course it is. So amazing. We've got to do that next time. Yeah. You can see lots of photos of it if you go online, Google Vasari Corridor. Uh, I've seen photos of the view from the corridor looking down on the Ponte Vecchio, uh, all that kind of stuff. Amazing. That's the way to do it. Anyway, so Luca Pitti was the guy who started the uh, party palace. Right. By the way, it was – so it was Cosimo I, the Grand Duke, who ended up owning it, and then it was his son, Francesco I di Medici, mm-hmm. Grand Duke of Tuscany, who ruled from 1574 uh, until 1587, who moved into it permanently from the Palazzo Vecchio. So it was only then, 110 years after 
our Cosimo died, right. that uh, the the Medici moved their primary residence to the Palazzo Pitti. Damn. Power. What are we doing wrong? Yeah. Everything. <laughs> Literally everything we are doing wrong. But Literally. Here's, here's the other part. So for all this... There is still a government to run, and the Signoria is going to be there. But I imagine them handling the day-to-day stuff. Cosimo is going to call the big shots. And there's also some reforms that really need to be done because Florence has been in a state of chaos for quite some time. Yes, it may be a fake democracy, but at least let's do the best we possibly can. So they start expanding the franchise. So again, with an eye towards, you know, keeping the people happy, it's decided that about a hundred or so of the Popolo Minuto are going to be selected each year and given the right to vote. Now, yes, that vote is practically meaningless, but these people can say, hey, you know what? If I play my cards right, one day I will be able to hold office. And yes, we know that's meaningless too, because you don't get in unless um, Cosimo says so. But the point is, it has the appearance that representative government is busting out all over the place, all over Florence. And how could that not make the people happy? Yeah, gives them a little bit more say in the democracy. Of course, no women, no, no slaves, no um, Turks, but, right out. You know, yeah, men, yeah, men, yeah, men, white, <laughs> white Italian men, <laughs> Florentine men, exactly. to be more specific. Um, in terms of uh, Cosimo keeping a low profile uh, and not being conspicuous, I like the factoid that whenever he rode through town, he rode on a mule like Jesus, not a horse. Because <laughs> um, horses were for rich people. Oh. Uh, he was yeah. rich, but he still rode on a mule. It's probably mm. the finest mule money could buy. Like Jesus. Yeah. yeah. Oh, damn, it was gold, it, you know, his mule was made out of gold, but yes. Now, one of the, one of the other reforms that he did was uh, to try and end the constant wars that Florence had always been in, which wasn't easy. And losing. Particularly because the Albizzi had gone into, the, the Albizzi had gone into exile in Milan. Oh, shit. Who they had been fighting wars against, so that must have been fun. Hello. <laughs> Hi. Hello, Ronaldo Deli Albizzi. Hi. Sworn enemy. Uh, wondering if uh, <laughs> I can live here for the rest of my life. Didn't you just declare war on us like three times? Yeah. Look, listen. Yes, oh, I what? did, but. Happy about it. But. Yeah. <laughs> but. I lost, so... You're welcome. You know, yeah. you, you know, you, well, yes, <laughs> I was bad at it, uh, so... And he was, he was there now urging the Visconti to invade Florence. Oh, dick. Yes. Oh, well, uh, of course, he's not going to take this lightly. He's not going to go into exile with his tail between his legs. He's Mr. Cannonballs. <laughs> he's, 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 he's coming back for another round, I'm man. Back, he's baby. not over and out. Right, right. Round two. Not going not to defe- be defeated by the Medici that easily. Right. Now, Florence managed to keep the peace for a while by maintaining an alliance with Venice and the Papal States. Um, Cosimo also introduced a new council known as the Consiglio Maggiore, the Major Council, which mm. is 
the same thing they have in uh, Venice that helps in their election of the Doge. Right. Do you want me to go through no, the election of God, the Doge please, again? Please, no. <laughs> no, God. No, God. God, no. No. <laughs> Um, and the uh, major council had absolute control over issues of national security and taxation, mm. which later turned into the Council of 100, the Cento. But uh, that was how he managed to, yeah, the two important things that you want to have, control of taxation to get rid of your enemies and also right. make sure your own tax bill is modest. Um, yeah. And secondly, control over national security in case Albici comes back at you. You want to be in control of that. That's the two things. Cosmo's like, listen, you can run the Signoria, can run everything. All I want is the (laughs) army and the tax department. Everything else you can have. Oh, my God. That reminds me, you probably haven't seen the movie Vice yet. Not yet. Cheney says to Bush when they're trying to negotiate if he's going to be his running partner, look, if I come on board, I can't be a typical vice president. I have to have um, energy, I have to have security, and I have to have the military forces. And Bush is like, no problem. Let me know if you want anything else. And that's kind of what's going on here. Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. He's the Dick Cheney of uh, Florence. <laughs> Shooting people in the face. Uh, was that Cheney or was that Rumsfeld? I can't remember. Who Chaney. shot somebody in the face? No, it was Cheney. Was it? Yeah. It's just yeah. Cheney. Yeah. God. Now, the other thing that Coco Ma did to stop the, end of, uh, the endless wars is not long after his return, he invited Francesco Sforza mm. to come to Florence. Right. The wild card. The great condottiero who had defeated Florence back in 1430 when they paid him a huge sum of money to go away and leave them alone. <laughs> right. <laughs> He's closely closely linked to Visconti in Milan, Ooh. was planning on marrying Visconti's illegitimate daughter... Right. So he could take over the throne of Milan for himself when Visconti finally died. Already started building his own little kingdom, taking over some of the papal states, some of the lands in Romagna. Ah. Um, So by inviting him to Florence, Cosimo's going to piss off both Milan and the Pope. Yeah. But he did it anyway. Why, do you think? Right. Well, I think, again, he was taking a page out of his father's book. Yes, ally yourself with powerful people, but normally when you're talking to powerful people, they're complicated. Like when Giovanni worked, you know, hooked up with the pirate Belisaldre Cosa, who becomes Pope John Twenty-Third, And so the question is, does Cosimo have the diplomatic skills to pull this off because this guy Srotza is known as what the, one of the greatest military strategists or fighters in Italy at the time. So if he screws up this meeting, this 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 conversation, it could go really bad for Florence. Yeah, well, you know, I think he's he feels comfortable enough at this stage that he's got his thumb on the government of Florence, mm-hmm. but he also knows that. Albici's probably going to try and come at it right. at some point. And, and the Milanese are probably going to try and hire condottieri, uh, mercenaries, to come yeah. at him, which is what they do. So he needs to have an army 
that is well and truly cannot be bribed away from. Because you know these mercenaries, they're, they're, they're just anybody. They're the, whoever pays them the, the most. The Cam and Ray of, of soldiers. Yeah, yeah. Complete, complete whores. Complete whores <laughs> who'll do anything for a buck, these guys. Um, and they – and he knows he needs one that will right. be loyal. Yeah. Because, okay, he's rich, but all of the oligarchy families that he exiled yeah. are also rich, all the rich. ones that he hasn't bankrupted first. Right. Uh, so they could all, you know, throw a few bucks into the tin and maybe hire some big armies or out-bribe him. So he invites Svorta in, takes the risk of pissing <laughs> off Venice and the Papal States and Milan, yeah. and uh, invites him to town. Now, when Svorta gets there, he's used to people liking him because of his army. Right. Like, uh, they don't like him for him. Yeah. They like him because he has an army. uh, But he's a bit of a, you know, he's not uh, erudite. He's not uh, 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 that sort of suave or intelligent or sophisticated. They only like him for his army. But Cosimo lays it on heavy. He treats (laughs) Sforza... Like an equal, he and, and I think he, and I think this is this is my rationale here. He, you know, Coco realizes that it wasn't so long ago that the when the Medici were the outsiders, yeah, trying to get in to the establishment. He knows what it's like to be an outsider wanting to be accepted as an equal by the establishment by the elite. You know, they, you want to get invited to join the country club. Absolutely. You want to get in. You want to get invited to go to the good parties, yeah. uh, and not not just as muscle, right. but as uh, <laughs> you know, one of the right one yeah. of the well-to-do. Exactly. You know. Yeah. Uh, you want to get invited to the birthday parties. You want to get invited the to the, yeah. the the weddings. Exactly. You want to be invited to marry the daughters of. These people. That'd be nice. And that's what he does. He he lays it on heavy, treats Sforza like he's an equal. And at first, Sforza doesn't really know what's going on. He seems a little bit discombobulated right, by this. Right. But again, I mean, this guy, just imagine Cosimo, who's what, in his 40s at this point? I mean, he's seen and done so much. He has read so much. He's got this great education. He's been hanging out with these artists. And he's probably in some ways at the height of his powers. And he just decides to bring the charm game on this guy. Sforza, with his limited education and his limited exposure to the finer things, probably doesn't have a chance. He's a deer in the headlights. But I can tell you this, it seems that he really liked the way Coco was treating him. Yeah, uh, Cosimo, yeah, he's in his mid-40s at this stage, yeah, 45, 46. Yeah, he he really falls for it, Sforza, really, really gets into it, so much so that when he returned to Romania, he sent Coco a letter calling him magnificent and dearest almost father. <laughs> I've been called the almost father part a lot of times, but that's another story. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get into that later. 
And I'm like, whew, dodged another bullet. Five kids is enough. Five kids is enough. <laughs> oh, my God. Five kids. Four daughters. Jesus Christ. God is punishing me for hanging out with you. Yeah. Yes, Forza was born in 1401, so he's 11 or 12 years younger yeah. than Cosimo. Um, yeah, so he he really loves it. And, you know, I think this is keep your friends close but keep your enemies closer kind <laughs> right. of thing here uh, for Coco Ma. He's getting him this guy on side and making sure that he loves him and won't betray him. Right. And more will, more will come of that over time. Yeah. So... Coco is not only now a banker, a politician, and a patron of the arts. Mm -hmm. He becomes the focus point of the Renaissance. The richest man of his age, the founder of a dynasty that will last for centuries. And you really have to wonder, what would the Renaissance have been without him? Absolutely. I mean, he didn't start it. I mean, Petrarch, I called the father of the Renaissance many, many episodes ago. You had Petrarch, you had Boccaccio, you had uh, Brunelleschi, uh, you had uh, the... Yes, you had all of the... Who we'll talk about in the next episode, too. Mm -hmm. You had a bunch of guys doing the early work um, of humanism and the Renaissance, and, 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 and Cosimo was friends with these guys... But um, I don't know what would have happened if this battle between the oligarchs and the Medici had turned out differently. Yeah. We don't know. It's one of those great questions of history. If you didn't have the money and the power of a humanist like Coco Ma behind the Renaissance pushing it, out of Florence for the next 200 years, what would have happened? Anything could have happened. We don't know. Absolutely. It, it would have it started without him, but would it have flowered? Would it have been turbo-boosted without him? We don't know. Now, mm. just to wrap up, another interesting thing about uh, Cosimo's years in power is there aren't many contemporary portraits of him. Mm-hmm. If you go, if you go looking for portraits of Cosimo in his mid forties, you're not going to find anything. Um, now you would think that the man who did more than anyone to usher in the Renaissance would have had his <laughs> portrait painted <laughs> several times. But are you surprised by yeah. that? I and so, there's a part of me that, that he, where he would go, no, 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 you know, thanks for the offer, but I'm good. I'm, I got to get back to work. I, it, it just goes against what his father taught him. Yes, and I think this. I think it's partly it. Now, I, I don't really know the answer to this. I, I tried to figure it out the best I could. I've got a couple of theories. Mm-hmm. I didn't find any any definitive statements on this by anyone yet, but he does appear in a few paintings from the time, usually as a minor background character. Not because usually the paintings, of course, were religious motifs. Wow. And then you, you, they would paint depictions of uh, pe- you know, people like the Medici in the background. There are somebody looking at Jesus or somebody looking at uh, Peter and Paul or something like that. So they get right. sneakily painted. The artists increasingly would paint themselves into the paintings. <laughs> Usually the artist is the person 
staring out of the canvas. Right. Um, That's what I would do. You'll see these. You see these paintings, and there's 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 a whole bunch of people in it. And they're all looking at the the subject of the painting. They're looking at the baby Jesus or something. But then you'll have usually one character who's looking straight out at you. That's usually the artist, uh, self portrait. <laughs> Right. But they would paint in the Medici. So there's a few of those. Um, and there's some other things too that I'll talk about. But I th- my conclusion is, one, this is partly about staying inconspicuous. Mm-hmm. Two, at this point in time in the Middle Ages, portraits weren't common. Mm. You didn't get your portrait painted. Right. The, um, f- one of the, the, the first portrait painted of an English king was Richard II, and that was painted in 1400. Wow. Just wasn't done. Yeah. Okay. Just wasn't, just wasn't done. Now, we know that paintings were expensive. They took a long time. Usually they were commissioned for major religious works. Right. Very unusual to paint members of uh, the general public at all, um, including wealthy people. Just wasn't done at this juncture. Now, what was done, though, a little bit were medallions. These Mm. are quite popular in Italy in the middle of the 1400s. They were a thing. You would have a medallion um, made. And there Mm -hmm. is a painting in the Uffizi called Portrait of a Man with a Medal of Cosimo the Elder. Uh, The painting was completed in 1475, thereabouts, by Botticelli. Wow. He of the uh, birth of Venus. Mm-hmm. uh, now, Cosimo died in 1464, so this isn't a contemporary painting, but Botticelli knew Cosimo. Right. And the medal that the man in the painting is holding would have been a contemporary medal, and it's got a depiction of Cosimo's face on it. Cool. Now, there uh, is a, a surviving medal like this designed, they think, by Donatello, Obviously, friend of the family, right. uh, lived in the Palazzo Medici for many years. Um, it, this was cast in the one that's uh, in, in a museum um, in the Victoria and Albert Museum in London was cast, they think, about 1465 to 1480. Now, the funny thing about the painting, not the funny, but the interesting thing about the painting that Botticelli did mm-hmm. is he's actually made a cast of a medal and inserted it into the painting. Get out of here. That's why. When you look at it, yeah. it's like a it's like a plaster cast. <laughs> it's actually made from something called uh, gesso, which was made out of glue and chalk. It's basically plaster. Right. So he made a yeah, he made a plaster cast of the metal and stuck it <laughs> into the painting. So a multimedia work. Right. So that's a so that's a contemporary portrait of Cosimo as an old man. Now the most famous portrait you will see of Cosimo if you go online and look for a Cosimo di Medici portrait, is one of him as an old man uh, painted by Jacopo di Pontormo, who was a Florentine painter, a favourite of the next generation of Medici. Mm -hmm. He painted it about 50 years after Cosimo died. Mm. It may have been based on contemporary sketches and, and things like the medal. And in it, you see Cosimo as an old man, very, very skinny, 
all twisted up, bent over, a little bit huh. deformed looking, not flattering at all. But, uh, yeah, I just thought it was interesting. Not much written about him during his lifetime and no paintings of him really in his lifetime. And that is the story of... That's the conclusion of our Rise of the Medici series. Wow. Uh, How they went from country bumpkin outsiders to (laughs) ruling Florence... In 100 years, well, 200 years. In 200 years, they went from country bumpkins to ruling Florence. Next time on the show, we will start telling a new story about the book hunters of this era featuring Poggio Bracciolini. But... That'll be next time. Thanks for thanks for thanks for listening. Thanks for your support. We'll be back. 